Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Please be seated. Before we get going this morning, just want to thank some people that often take for granted and they don't get any recognition. And that's Missy, who keeps us going live on Facebook, and Mike and Joe and Joe in the back on sound. And Joe, Mike and Joe and Joe and Joe. I don't know how many Joes we have, but we have a lot of Joes. They actually numbered themselves. And I'm not getting into who's number one and who's number two. So thank you guys because you keep the place running. Keep the message well. You know, it's important, the message live and reaching out across the airwaves and across the welcome uh, everyone on Facebook and live stream, reaching out to all our family and friends, reaching people that we normally wouldn't be able to. So it's an amazing blessing that uh, it is broadcast live, and, and we do get to share that and spread it around. Um, and having said that, let's have a moment of prayer for uh, John MacArthur. And there's another Calvary Chapel pastor out in California this morning. Well, all the Calvary Chapel pastors and all the pastors in California who've taken the brave stand and decided to open up, and they're being threatened with fines and imprisonment, being arrested, actually. Uh, and I know I read a story where the courts out there gave them a temporary stay, but apparently something has gone wrong. And so they face being arrested today for doing exactly what I'm doing here this morning. Um, listen, we are living in Acts 29. Acts didn't end at, at chapter 28. You're aware of that, right? We, it's continued on. We are living in, in, the, in the next chapter. It's still being written. Acts is still being written. And we still have people being arrested and persecuted for their faith, just as they were in the first century. So let's lift them up in prayer. Lord, we lift our brothers up this morning. We lift up all those who are leading churches, elders and deacons and women's ministries around the world, Lord, as these are very, very difficult times to be leading a congregation. Lord, it's, uh, it's unprecedented for us. We know that our brothers and sisters throughout the ages have gone through similar things. They've lost their lives over their faith. And so, Lord, we ask for strength and wisdom to continue to lead and guide through these turbulent times. And Lord, to know, to be prepared that they may get worse as, as the day draws near for your return. We lift up our brothers in California and around the world, Lord, who are facing imprisonment, facing their churches being burned down in some places in the world, facing all kinds of persecution, Lord. We just lift them up, pray for your strength, for your wisdom and guidance for them as well. And Lord, I pray that they would get a favorable ruling from the courts, and Lord, that we would be able to continue to do what you've called us to do. Lord, you said that the gates of hell would not prevail against your church, and we lift your church up to you this morning, Lord, and pray for your hand, for your intervention. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, we had a brother yesterday in men's uh, group suggest, and I thought it was a great suggestion, as Paul went through and did a collection for the church in Jerusalem that at some point we, w we may want to do something similar for our brothers who are facing uh, fines and imprisonment in California. So you may see the bag get passed here. 
And whatever it is, I mean, whatever it is we collect, we're not looking for, we certainly can't cover the $1,000 a day, but whatever it is, our little bit, and if churches are around the, the world did this, and certainly around our country, we would help relieve the burden of our brothers in, who are being persecuted and fined. So, if you would, and pray for yourselves, because today is um, water wars, and uh, whether you signed up for that or not doesn't mean you're safe from being soaked. <laughs> Just warning you. But no, it should be a great time. It always is. We're going to have ice cream. Um, if the weather holds up, I don't know what the weather's supposed to be. Is it supposed to stop raining? No. Rain all day. Well, maybe there won't be water wars today. We'll see. So we're going to be this morning in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Um, we're not going to get in there right away. We're going to do a little um, introduction leading up to that. The title of the message this morning is Left Behind. Um, and I know a lot of you have seen the, the movies and read the books. Oh, by the way, one other announcement. Um, we have a sign-up sheet here for the Agape Feast. So if you would, if you want to contribute, um, oh, and the announcements. <laughs> so, yeah, Missy did a good job winging it. So um, listen, the whole idea behind the Agape Feast is that everybody brings something so that not one person always does, makes all the meal. And so if you could bring something, even if it's a salad, even if it's a box of ring dings, something, um, because we can't have agape feast without a feast. Roger? That's my old railroads coming through. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to look at those who have been left behind. Those who didn't place their faith in Jesus for some reason or another will be left behind when the rapture occurs. Now, what would cause people to want to be left behind? And you got to kind of look at it that way, don't you? Because there's plenty of warnings. There's been plenty of warnings. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that you don't want to be here for the tribulation. So why would you want to be here? Why would you gamble with that? Why would you roll the dice on that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Either they simply don't believe the evidence that's been presented to all of us. I mean, everyone sitting in this room this morning has heard the evidence, has seen the evidence of salvation, right, of, of who Jesus says who he says he is, and we've all seen that, and we've all accepted and submitted to him. We've seen the evidence. Why is it different for us and, and not for some others? Is it because maybe they've bought into this lie that they've rejected the truth? And then second... There are those who are just undecided, who just can't make a decision because the pull of the world is still too strong on them. So let's look at each one of these a little closer to try to get a better understanding of what the mindset is of people around the world who are going to be left behind because it helps us in witnessing to them because no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what goes on here in the next few months or years or whatever happens, we are called, as Jesus said, we're living in the days of Noah. So we're called to be preachers like Noah, preachers of righteousness, to continue to preach the word no matter what happens. So those who simply don't believe the evidence. Well, listen, throughout the ages, God has chosen 
to show man the evidence of his existence, hasn't he? The Bible's filled with accounts of those who believed in God and those who did not. Those who refused to accept that there's a God and that the only way you could be saved is through, your, through his son by repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus in faith. Those who refuse to receive Jesus Christ will be left behind. And listen, although we walk by faith, not by sight, God has given us evidence of his existence throughout the Bible, hasn't he? I want you to listen to what God said to his servant Moses. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth should be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these who rejected me see it. Numbers 14, verses 20 through 23. Now in the Old Testament, the Israelites and, and in Egypt and in the wilderness had sufficient signs to believe in God, didn't they? In Egypt, God sent plague after plague after plague to convince Pharaoh that it was in his best interest to let God's people go. When they reached the Red Sea, remember, they were trapped. They had the sea behind them. They had Pharaoh's army in front of them. What did God do? He put a wall of fire up to delay Pharaoh's army. Then he parted the Red Sea, dried the ground so that the Israelites could pass through. And then he allowed Pharaoh's army to follow them, closing up the sea around them. Forty years in the desert, and the people's clothes and shoes didn't wear out. When they needed water, God provided water. When they needed sustenance, God sent manna. When they needed meat to eat, God sent quail. The people saw the mountain quake and thunder and shake and smoke from the presence of God, didn't they? God led them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw the miracles of God. They saw God's presence, and yet many did not trust God that he would take care of them. They were a stiff-necked people indeed. And as a result of their disobedience, of their rebellion against God, all of those who are age of 19 or above 19 did not enter the promised land. And just as a side note, for free, it won't cost you anything extra, I kind of lean toward the age of reason being 19, only because God chose this very age himself. In the New Testament, there were also signs that provided evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. John wrote this of Jesus. He said, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. John 12, verse 37. Jesus did miracles that could not just be explained away, right? Other than the fact that they were miracles from God. John wrote, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not hold the books that would be written. So there were so many things that Jesus did. Now, not everyone disbelieved, right? Paul wrote that Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. So the Jews were into signs. And although Jesus did many miracles, did many signs, pointing to the fact that he was the Messiah, they still rejected him. They still rejected him. And to be fair, 
as I said, not everyone rejected him because John also wrote, and many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ come, will he do more signs than these, than, than these which this man has done? The answer is no. Would, would the Messiah do more signs than Jesus did? And of course, the answer is no, pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And the interesting thing about all of this is they all saw the same evidence. Some chose to believe, some chose not to believe. The Greeks had a difficult time believing because they couldn't wrap their heads around why someone would die for someone else. Why someone would give his life up for someone else. And so because of their logical assessment of Jesus, many of them rejected Jesus as the Savior, thinking, who in the right mind would give his life for my life? And you know, those are stumbling blocks that still exist to this day, don't they? There's some people that won't believe because they haven't been given a sign by God. And there's others who have a hard time believing that Jesus died for everyone. And although we all have the same evidence presented to us, some reject it, and others accept and believe. Now, some people have a hard time accepting the truth, don't they? Because the truth requires change. And for them, it seems easier or, or more comfortable to remain where they're at, living in a lie. A lie that has deceived many, that if you're just a good person, if you do good works, if, you're, if you just take care of people, you will go to heaven. Today, truth can either fill a church or empty it. There's a lot of pastors out there who don't want to preach the truth because sadly there's a lot of people out there who don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about judgment. And so pastors tend to cater to people like that to keep the seats filled. So they give them a gospel every Sunday wrapped up nice and neat with a bow on it in a non-convicting way so that the seats stay filled every Sunday. And as a result, that word repent has been replaced with the word acceptance. Pastors are telling people that you, Jesus will accept you any way you come to him. You don't need to repent. You don't need to turn from your sin. Therefore, you can remain in the lifestyle that you're leading. You remain in the sinful lifestyle that you've always had. They teach people that you can believe in Jesus and not turn away from your sin. Now, why wouldn't a church teach repentance? Because it means you're a sinner, doesn't it? And that's an uncomfortable word. Sin is an uncomfortable word for people. It offends people to be called a sinner. So we're living in a time, as Paul said, that people will want to have their ears tickled. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear the word repentance because they feel they have nothing to repent of. And they certainly don't want to know about the judgment to come. And didn't Noah say that in the last days people would just go on living their life as if nothing ever happened or nothing was going to happen, oblivious to what was going on around them? But the Bible, in fact, teaches us, even commands us to repent. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So because of the lack of teaching repentance, and because repentance is seldomly included in the gospel message, people believe they can come to Jesus and remain in their sin. As long as they're good people. As long as they do good works. And that just gives people a false sense of salvation, doesn't it? And it's true. 
It is true that you can come to Jesus any way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. We need to repent of our sins. We need to turn to Jesus in faith. Listen, you can believe that you're accepted whether you repent or not. But according to the word of God, you will not be accepted into heaven unless you repent of your sin and in faith turn to Jesus. I didn't write that in the Bible. God put that there for a reason. There's no other way except through Jesus Christ. But sadly, there will be many who have heard the gospel message, who have been urged to repent and turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, and they will refuse to submit. And then there's those who are just undecided about what to do, sitting on the fence, right? King Agrippa, remember him in Acts? He said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul had been ministering to him, sharing the gospel message with him. That was one of the reasons Paul wanted to go to Rome. And Agrippa, now he's, imagine Paul is the one giving you the gospel message. And Agrippa, man, Paul, you almost had me. You almost had me. King Agrippa couldn't make a decision, even though he heard the truth. He could not make a decision. And although, and, I, and all of the Bible doesn't say this, I believe that as Agrippa was hearing this message from Paul, he's thinking in his head, what's this going to cost me? What's it going to cost me to accept this Jesus as my Lord and Savior? What's it going to do to me? What's it going to do to my reputation? Agrippa was counting the cost. And you know, there's nothing bad about accounting the cost. Jesus, in fact, tells us to count the cost. He said, for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, Luke 14, 28. When we submit and surrender to Jesus Christ, when we make that decision to follow him, it's a lifetime commitment, isn't it? And you should count the cost before you make that decision. Because this walk that we walk isn't for the faint of heart, is it? And so there's a race that we're in. And Paul says, you know, I finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. It's an endurance race. It's not a sprint. For believers in the first century to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it meant separation from their family. It meant a loss of their friends, a loss of wealth, of uh, employment, and even, even the loss of their life. Jesus told them, count the cost. And I'm warning you in love, my brothers and sisters, to count the cost of following Jesus. Even now, even though you've made that decision, continue to count the cost. Because, listen, I want you to be prepared, so I'm telling you in love to be prepared. Make sure your relationship with Jesus Christ is built upon the rock and not on the sand. You know, Jesus told us a parable in Matthew 7 for a reason. He said about the wise men, and this is Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. A wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was what? Founded on the rock. And then he talked about the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it what? It fell. And great was its fall. So I want you to please take heed of this parable this morning, because there is a time approaching, and we see it even now in California, right? 
where pastors are being threatened with being arrested for, their, for preaching the word of God. There is a time approaching where our freedoms could be lost, where you could lose your family, where you could lose your friends. It may cost you something to call yourself a Christian, to call yourself a servant of God. It may cost you something to say I'm a Christian. And I tell you that in love. I want you to be prepared. As I'm not going to stand before the Lord one day and have him look at me and say, why didn't you prepare the flock that I entrusted you with? You need to be prepared for what's coming. Whether it comes in a couple of months or a year from now, whenever that is, you need to be prepared. Make sure that your faith in Jesus Christ is built on the rock and not on the sand because when that storm comes, and it's coming, you do not want your faith to be built on sand. But for those who make no decision at all and wind up leaving this life because of that, because the cost of following Jesus is just too dear to them, and they remain on the fence at the time of the rapture, they will be left behind. And listen, since we don't know the day or the hour, sitting on the fence, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, are we? None of us are guaranteed the next five minutes. That's how important it is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we talk about Left Behind. You know there's movies, there's books that have been written about this. Many of you probably have the series, Tim Lay, Left Behind. Um, one of the last ones, I believe, was The Remaining, was out a couple years ago. Uh, if you like horror movies, it's kind of a cool movie to watch. Um, the only thing I didn't like about that movie remaining was the way they pictured those who were raptured. They just had people kind of collapsing on the floor, and they were just lifeless, soulless bags of flesh. And so, of course, we know that we actually rise up out of here. But other than that, it was a pretty good movie. Those who remain after the rapture, and listen, there will be a rapture. We talked about this at length in chapter 4 of Revelation, right? Those who do not go in the rapture are called the left behind. They're left behind because they did not put their faith and hope in, in Jesus Christ. There's a good precedent for this, right? I mean, there's a good example in the Bible. Even Thomas didn't believe at first, did he? Thomas said, unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. John chapter 20, verse 25. And so, after he had said these words, Jesus appears to him. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me and believed, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. The point is that God throughout the ages has given man evidence. He's allowed mankind to see the miracles. Even though we haven't seen Jesus, we haven't seen the miracles that Jesus performed, even though we didn't see the miracles that God did in the desert, we're without excuse also. You can't say, well, I didn't see the miracles. Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even in his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. The the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of his works, right? Just looking up at the heavens, just looking at the stars and the moon should give us a sense of that there is a God in heaven. So whether you are living in a metropolitan area or you're in the furthest corners of the earth, you should be able to look up and know that there's a God. So all of us, all of us who draw breath are without excuse. God has done all that he possibly can to reveal himself to us, yet there are those who refuse to believe. So this morning we're going to look at those who are left behind, the saints who are saved during the tribulation. And like the Israelites in the desert who saw God's power and experienced his provision, and those who saw and heard Jesus walk this earth, there is evidence throughout the ages that God is who he says he is, and that his son Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That very same evidence that they saw and heard is the very same evidence that's been presented to each one of us. What we do with that evidence is up to us, isn't it? As God will never force himself upon us. There are those who have surrendered to Jesus, who have surrendered and committed themselves to him. They will be taken out of this earth in the rapture. And there's those who will refuse to submit to him. And they will be left behind in the tribulation. Not because God hates them. Please, please believe that. Not because God hates them. But because they refuse to acknowledge the evidence and the truth presented to them before the rapture. But maybe after they see the evidence of the church being raptured. Maybe after they see millions of Christians disappear. Maybe after they see millions of children gone. Maybe then their eyes will be opened. Now, John gives us a glimpse of those whose eyes have become opened during the tribulation. And even on the subject of the tribulation, God's left nothing uncovered, has he? He's revealed to us in the pages of Revelation what the tribulation is going to be like. And why, in God's name, you would want to go through that is beyond me. If you want to know what the tribulation is like, open up the book of Revelation and read it. It's not a fun time to be alive, I can tell you that. God has made known to us what is going to occur during that time of testing that's going to come upon the whole earth. And I'm not just talking about the United States. We tend to look at prophecy from the perspective of the United States of America. The prophecy in Revelation covers the entire world. Now, it may not be as simple as a second chance. You know, my brother, whom I love dearly, said to me one day, isn't the second coming of Jesus like a second chance for people in other words if you miss the rapture you got another chance well I don't know about that but did you know that during the tribulation God sends a strong delusion to the people second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 through 12 says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, some believe that if you do not submit to Jesus Christ before the rapture, that you're lost forever. 
because of this strong delusion. That's a tough belief because that doesn't explain why we have saints under the altar in heaven. So obviously there are those who are saved during the tribulation. But please, I want to just keep drumming this into your heads this morning. Please understand God has given us all the same evidence. All of us have the same evidence. Some see it, repent and turn to Jesus, and others will dismiss it as just religious fairy tales. And those are the ones that will be very, very surprised when they wake up one morning and all these Christians are gone. God is going to send a strong delusion. Everyone has the opportunity now to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they will continue to have that opportunity even in the midst of the tribulation. But those who reject Jesus over and over again during the tribulation, that strong delusion is coming. And you're going to continue to believe a lie that you're already believing. And you're not going to be able to believe the truth at that point. Now that's not something the Lord takes pleasure in. You have to remember that along with that rejection comes the mocking. Mocking of God and mocking on all those who follow God. You see it even today, don't you? People mock those who are Christians, mock us for our faith. These are the people that Paul describes in the letter to the Romans, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth for God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen? For this reason God gave them up to their vile passions. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. When someone who sees the evidence that's been presented to all of us, and hears the word of the truth and continues to reject that time and time and time and time and time again, and still refuses to surrender to Jesus, but instead gives themselves over to the things of this world, God, who is long-suffering and patient with us, so that all who will repent, repent, was not, will not strive with man forever. He will not strive with you forever. You will be turned over to your sin. God sends this delusion, but at this point in the tribulation, Man's heart are so corrupt, they're so deceived, that they'll easily fall under this delusion. In other words, man's hearts are so corrupted at this time that they're actually going to welcome the delusion. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Ever watch an MMA fight? Some of you ladies probably have not. Well, sometimes you see a fighter in the midst of an MMA fight do this, right? What does that mean, guys? Come on, bro, bring it, bring it, right? So, meaning, come at me, keep coming at me. Now, even though that fighter is going to come at him and, and those strikes are going to hurt, at this point, he doesn't care because his only singular focus is to beat his opponent. And all sense of fear, all sense of pain has left him, and the only thing on his mind now is victory. And so what he's saying is, come on, you're going to have to kill me to beat me. That's why you ladies don't watch MNA. At this point in the tribulation, man's heart are going to be so hardened that they're so singularly focused on attacking God and those who continue to worship him, it's going to be like they're waving their hand to God. Come on, God, bring it. 
bring it. We don't care what you do. No matter what happens, we will never surrender to you and we will never submit to you. They're already delusional, aren't they? Because I don't care what you think or what you say, everyone will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. That word delusion means deceit accepted. It's accepting a lie for the truth. And you see, they're already believing the lie. And God knows in his heart that they will never accept the truth. God looks across the centuries and sees our hearts, doesn't he? He knows that they will never accept this truth. So this strong delusion from God will allow them, allow him rather, to use their single focus of hatred toward him and toward his followers to accomplish his plan, as we've seen him do so many times in Scripture. He used Pharaoh, and his single-mindedness, his single focus on was killing the Israelites, and God used that to accomplish his plan. The same with Herod. His single focus was on killing the Israelites, and God used it to accomplish his plan. And in the end, God's going to use those who fall for this delusion to accomplish his plan. So that brings us, and you, we had to get here sooner or later, to the tribulation saints, those who are left behind in the rapture. Look finally, if you would, at Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So Jesus opens the fifth of the seven seals, and John sees those who have been slain for the word of God and for their testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you remember, going all the way back to Revelation chapter 1, why John was on the island of Patmos? The exact same thing, right? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So these saints are under the, under the altar as punishment from a God-rejecting world from the Antichrist for sharing the word of God, for standing firm on the word of God, and for testifying or witnessing for Jesus Christ. Now they're part of a multitude, we find that in Revelation chapter 7, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Revelation 7, 9. And we know this, that they're part of that, because the elder tells John, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7.14. Now we know that many will be killed because of the Antichrist, because we read in Revelation 13, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and the authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. However, the persecution of the saints is going to begin shortly after the rapture. Perhaps it's because of mob violence. Where have we seen that before? Many people are going to take to the streets after the rapture, confused, scared, wondering what just happened. Where are all these Christians? Where are all the children? Maybe even blaming the Christians for what happened. It wouldn't be the first time in history that Christians were blamed for a tragedy and persecuted because of it. But it's going to ramp up even more at the three-and-a-half-year mark. I did my biblical math correctly this time. When the Antichrist enters the temple desecrates the temple, and then turns his hatred towards the Jewish people and towards those who profess in Jesus Christ. Bear in mind that many are going to die because of this. Not simply because they call themselves Christians, 
but because of who they represent. They represent Jesus Christ. This began all the way back in the garden, didn't it? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 The hatred of all those who follow Satan and those who follow Jesus has been raging for centuries. Satan has tried to get rid of Christians for centuries, and Jews, by the way. And that will continue until, right through the tribulation until Jesus returns. So those believers who didn't make a decision, didn't submit to Christ, didn't surrender to him prior to the rapture, are going to submit to him during the tribulation. It is, is it a second chance of sorts? I don't believe so. I believe what God's demonstrating here is his patience, his long-suffering. Because I believe that God knows who are his. You know, that whole predestined thing, or do you choose, or are you chosen? And I love the way one pastor used to tell me, he said, if you want to know if you're chosen, choose. But there's that whole predestination argument, isn't there? God, I believe personally, and you don't have to believe what I say. You could be a Berean and do your own research. God, in his infinite wisdom and, and knowledge of everything, because he's omniscient, right? He knows all, looks out across the centuries and sees you and I before we're ever even thought of and knows that you and I will accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and just waits for us to come to that conclusion, right? And so he looks out knowing that those who decided to wait until the tribulation, I thank God because that would have been me. I always wait till the last minute to make a decision. And that would have been me. I would have said, oh, man, why didn't I do this before? And God knows who is going into the tribulation, that he knows who will be his and who will never give their heart to Christ. And so he's long-suffering toward us, as Peter says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. All who belong to God will come to him, whether it's prior to the rapture or in the midst of the rapture. Talk about doing things the hard way. But they're going to come to Christ the same way you and I did, by acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. Now we know from Scripture that there's a temple in heaven, right? So the same temple that Moses saw in heaven was the one that he was instructed to create on earth. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 says, As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So Moses was shown an example of what the temple should look like on earth by showing him what the temple looked like in heaven. And so John is looking now at that temple, the same temple that Moses was shown in heaven, and he's seeing these saints at the base of the altar. The Bible doesn't tell us which altar it is, though, does it? And, of course, there's been some discussion as to which temple it could be. One of those suggestions is that it's the burnt, is the temple where, or the altar rather, where the burnt offerings were offered. And we read about that in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7. And the priest shall put some blood of the horns on the altar, the, talking about a bull sacrifice now, of sweet incense before the Lord, which was in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, it doesn't say here that the blood of the saints 
was poured out at the base of the altar, but it describes for us exactly where in the temple this altar would have been. These saints lost their lives for their testimony of Jesus Christ. They knew by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior that they would be killed, just as our first century brothers and sisters did. They knew once they signed on the dotted line that their lives would probably be taken from them. Now, some also believe that this is the altar of incense where the prayers of the people are sent up before God. Either way, whichever altar this is, it's an exact correlation of what Jesus said would happen just prior to his return. He said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And when many will, be many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures the end will be saved. Do we see lawlessness abounding now? Do we see the love of many growing cold now? And so, as we always say, if you see the shadow of what's to come now, how close is the real thing? Now, listen, if you find yourself left behind, and maybe you'll come across this message as you're trying to stay away from the persecutors, Jesus tells you what to do. Endure to the end. Once you receive Jesus as Lord in the tribulation, do not turn from him. Don't don't ever turn back away from him. Once you accept him, never turn away from him. You're going to endure hardship. You're going to even give up your life for this, but in the end, your eternal life will be saved. And listen, you know, the biggest thing now is black lives matter, all lives matter, white lives matter. The simple truth of the matter is eternal lives are what matter more than anything else. Look at verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So here are these saints under the base of the altar in heaven, and they cry out to God to avenge them. Now we know from verse 9 that they're slain, right? So they had been killed for their testimony. And we learn in verse 20 of Revelation how they're slain. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. So they are, most of them are beheaded. And so, and I'm just throwing this out there to you. I'm not trying to stir the pot here. But there's only one law that I know of that calls for the beheading of anyone who does not believe. And that's called Sharia law. Now, Sharia Islamic law is derived from the religious precepts of Islam, right? Particularly the Quran and the Hadith. So, you would expect to find that in the Quran, wouldn't you? Well, you do. In the Quran... I guess it's chapter 8, verse 12, which says, When your Lord revealed to the angels, now we're not speaking about, we're speaking about Muhammad and, and Allah here, okay? I am with you, therefore make firm with those who believe. I will cast terror in their hearts for those who disbelieve. Therefore, strike off their heads and strike off every fingertip of them. Now, it's possible what we're witnessing today around the world, and even in the United States of America, 
I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are counties, there are places where Sharia law is in effect even today. I don't know if they're chopping anybody's heads off, but there is Sharia law in the United States of America. Sharia law could become, could become the law of the land going forward in the tribulation. And so this verse would be used to remove the heads of all the infidels, those who do not believe. So I'm just throwing that out there as an option. As I said, I'm not trying to stir the pot. But to be fair, some have also suggested that this Greek word used for beheading also means to execute. Pretty sure getting beheaded is being executed. But I'm going to be fair. It could just mean being executed. But no matter how it happens, no matter who's responsible for it, these saints will be executed for their faith. And they cry out. They cry out to God to avenge them. You know, in the Old Testament, the people were under the law of God. In the New Testament, we're under the grace of God. In the, after the rapture, we're going to be under the judgment of God. God said to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, Genesis 4.10. God hears our cries. He hears the cries of those who have been slain in the name of Jesus Christ. He hears the cries of the innocent who have been killed as a result of the evil that's in this world. God hears our cries. He knows what's going on today. He sees the pain. He sees the suffering. And he, listen, all I can say is that vengeance is God's. And judge, judgment will come upon the evil in this world. It's a judgment that they cannot escape unless they repent and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And then look at verse 11 to finish up. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So there's more to come. This is seven years of this. Can you imagine? I pray that heaven is overflowing, bursting at the seams with saints. Because although they'll have to go through a horrific period of time, they'll be saved. They'll be saved. The souls in the heaven are given a robe. It's a robe of an overcomer. The color white represents, represents the purity now. They're pure in Christ. They're made pure by their confession of faith in Christ Jesus, just as you and I are. Now we're told in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we are confident, yes, pleased, Rather, that to be absent from the body is to beware. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. So from this verse, the one we just read in, in Revelation, the souls in heaven, these souls seem to have some sort of form. Whatever form it is, they're able to wear a robe. And then they're told to rest a little while longer. Not because they're impatient, but because God's telling them, listen, just rest, relax, sit back, you're safe now. You're safe. You're in heaven. You're under my wing. You're okay. Just relax. Enjoy eternity. Listen, the message in this is that we all live into eternity. All of us. Whether you believe or you don't believe. It's a false belief to think that when you die, you just die. That's it. It ends. Or to believe that if you're a righteous person, you're going to heaven. Those are false beliefs. Listen, I'm going to let, tell you right, let me warn you once again. One morning, 
a lot of religious people are going to wake up and wonder where all the Christians have gone. Let that sink in for a minute. There's a lot of religious people one morning are going to wake up and wonder where all the Christians went. The book of Revelation clearly teaches that there will be a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth and all those who put their faith in him will stand with him, will sit with him, will judge with him. The great and the small will stand before him one day at the great white throne judgment. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what religion you put your faith in, if it wasn't in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will stand before him at that throne judgment. No matter how powerful you were, what office you held in politics, it doesn't matter. Whether you were buried at sea, whether you were buried in the ground, or whether you were consumed by fire, you will be resurrected and you will stand in judgment. There, there is no, if when I die, that's the last sense of consciousness I have, because you will awake one day and you will be standing for your Lord Jesus Christ, and unless your book is written in the Lamb's book of life, that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will, the Bible tells us, I'm not saying this, the Bible says, cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. So you will have another conscious thought. And that will be to know that Jesus Christ is real. And all those crazy Christians who told you that throughout your lifetime were right. But you know, sadly at that point, it is too late. It is too late. And you will stand before him and you will give an account of your life. And so let me ask you, how do you think you will fare standing before a holy and righteous God and trying to tell him how good that you were all that you had been all your life. When he clearly said that it's not through our works, but through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know this is a difficult message for many to hear. And I know there's probably people shutting Facebook live off as we speak. I can hear the clicks all over the place. But understand that I must stand before my Lord one day and give an account for whether I warned you or didn't warn you. And I don't want to stand there and say, you know what, Lord, I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I warn you in love. Because I know the heart of our Lord also warns you in love. But I also want to tell you that his love for you, his desire for all of mankind is that none should perish. The great news is, as I mentioned just moments ago, that as we're studying through Revelation, we are in a time of God's judgment. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. The rapture hasn't occurred. At least I hope to God it hasn't. Anybody missing any friends? Oh, good. I don't want to be the only one. We're still in the gra God's grace. We're still under that time of God's grace. And so where we can come to him no matter what we've done. No matter what we've done. No matter how far we've drifted from him. No matter how long we've stayed away from him. There is no sin. There is no length of time. There is no measure of distance that will keep God from extending his mercy and grace to all those who come to him. Amen? That's the good news. You could turn to Jesus Christ right now. You could surrender your life to him right now. Because as I said before, it's not just about the rapture. You do not know the day or the hour of your own life coming to an end. And so if you want to know, know that you know that you know, have that assurance that you are saved. It's as simple as A, B, C. And the first step is A, you have to admit that you're a sinner. 
You're admitting that you're a sinner. God already knows. He already knows. He wants us to admit it. He wants us to come to him and admit that we're sinners. Romans 3.10 says, That is written, and there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, if you don't think you're a sinner, and I've gone through this before, but I think it's, it's worth going through again. You don't think you're a sinner? Just look at the Ten Commandments. As I always have you, have you, Ten Commandments says, shall not lie, right? Bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? If you answered no, you just told a lie. Have you ever stolen anything? As small as a paper clip or a pencil from work. If you didn't purchase it, you stole it. You see how impossible it is to follow the Ten Commandments? And the Bible says if you break one, just one, you break them all. Do you know those Ten Commandments are based on 613 laws that Jesus condensed down to two? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. God condensed all those laws and the Ten Commandments down to those two. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? I fail at that every moment of the day. So you're a sinner. I'm not calling you a sinner. Just based on the word of God, you're a sinner. And so the next letter in this ABCs of salvation is believe. B, believe in all your heart that Jesus died for your sin and that he rose from the grave and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Romans 10, verses 10 to 11 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will be saved. So once you admit that you're a sinner, and you repent of that sin, and you turn to Jesus in faith, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you believe that he's your Lord and Savior, then just see, call upon his name. Call upon the name of the Lord. Confess to him that you can't do this on your own. Confess to him that no matter how good you are, no matter how many good deeds you do, it is not going to get you into heaven. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's no, there's no getting around it here. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one. No one, whether you're the president of, of the United States of America or you're the lowliest servant somewhere in a restaurant, wherever, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's about putting your faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, turning to him in faith, and turning to Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, a prayer that we like to pray. And it's not about the prayer. It's not about the word. There's nothing in this prayer that's going to save you. It's your heart. And I've always said the difference between heaven and hell is only 18 inches. It's between knowing Jesus here and having Jesus here. That's the difference. People know Jesus, know who Jesus is, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. And so if you need to put this in words, if you like the idea of a prayer, then I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, even those online. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is your Lord and Savior, that you want to submit to him and surrender to him, then pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I, re I realize that I'm a sinner. 
and that there's no amount of good works that I could do in my life that will get me into heaven. The only way is to surrender to you. The only way is to submit my life to you. And Lord, I do that now. I surrender to you. I submit to you. Please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sin as I repent of it and turn in faith to you. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk this walk. Give me strength and wisdom to have endurance to the very end. Lead me and guide me, Lord Jesus. It is in your name I pray. Amen. And so if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. And listen, we may not see each other after today, but we'll either see you here or see you in the air. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the evidence of who you are. Thank you, Lord, that, that our eyes were opened a long time ago, that we see that you are the Lord, our Messiah, our King. And, Lord, we continue to surrender to you daily. Go before us now. Go before this message, before this day. May it bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.